Tonight, we're going to see to move on. If you remember last week, it was Moses remembers. Moses is kind of reflecting on what had taken place. And if you remember, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's broken up to almost like these four primary, you could say five sermons that are played out here. The first four chapters is all about Moses remembering the past and how important it is that we learn from the past. If you do not learn from the past, you will what? Repeat that past. And it's a saying that many times people will say. That's why we must learn from the past so we don't repeat those same issues or problems from the past. It's so important. And uh, as we take a look at this, we'll see how God speaks to Moses. Moses reflecting here uh, in the scriptures the truths of what took place during that 40-year period in the desert, in the wilderness. But if you remember, there's now the Israelites are about to two or three million. So I wanted to emphasize that point as we go through the scripture and read through chapters two and three, that you're reflecting that these are two or three million people that God is talking about moving through, going from the east side of the Jordan into across into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they're literally camped right there looking across and they can see Jericho right across in the promised land. That's the very first city that they're going to go and conquer. That's the first city they're going to have to deal with. And they're sitting right there waiting for the final preparation to move on, to march on into, and they will be battling for the next seven years in the land of Canaan to take over the land that they're supposed to occupy and possess that God said it was theirs. Now when you think about this, two to three million of them camped out there on that east side of the Jordan, that when they are thinking about this and the preparation, if you remember, two and a half of the, uh, the tribes didn't want to go in there. They wanted to stay on the east side, and they, but they had to have an agreement there. They had to still send their men, their warriors over there to conquer the land once the, their brothers are in the positions and the tribes are in the position where they're supposed to. Then they could go back to their families, back on the east side, um, where, they didn't, uh, where they wanted to camp out. The second thing that you need to keep in mind is, if you remember, the first generation had died off. And the, 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 the details was, when you're 20 years or older, you were to go into battle. And it was those, when they sent the spies in, they came out, 10 of them said, no, 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 no. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. There are this and that. Yes, it's good land. Yes, look at the grapes we carried back. Look at the fruit. Look at the benefits. Oh, this is great. But I am fearful we are not going to go and do what God has asked us to do. And out of that disobedience, that whole generation of 20 years of and older died in the wilderness. All of them, except for two. The two that were spies, the two that were obedient and said, yes, we can go into the land. And Joshua would be the new leader because of that obedience and willingness. And we will see that transition, that leadership to Joshua, and we'll touch on that tonight as well. But notice this, something that you don't forget to think about. If you were 19 years of age at that point when that disobedience was set and said, okay, 20 and older, you're all, that whole generation is going to die off, and you were 19, you're now sitting here today, ready to go into the promised land, and you're now 57 years old because it's been 38 years. 
You're now a 57-year-old ready to take you and your family into the promised land, but you were 19 at the time, and you had to watch the entire generation die off in the wilderness as you went around and around and around, making no headway for 38 years of your life. And now you're 57, and you're being said you're going to go in and conquer this land. Think about that. That's an amazing thought when you, if you put that together. But Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, we see that Moses is going to remember the, the marching around in the, those desert years. And he says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea. And as the Lord spoke to me, the Lord is speaking to him, and he's writing this down. And he skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren. Notice that. Through the territory of your brethren. The descendants of Esau. Think about that. You're gonna, you're gonna, you've been going around long enough for all these years. Now it's time to go northward. You're going to go in to start moving into the, up along the east side of the Jordan. And the first one you're going to pass through, if you remember when we studied in the previous books, they try to get permission and they, we promise we won't touch anything. The Edomites, which are the, the, the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob, remember? They never, that, that quarrel, the, the fact that you know, he, he lost his, his, uh, his inheritance and his prominence of first child and he gave over his inheritance, that never got settled. The Edomites were still not very happy with, the, uh, with Jacob and the Israelites today. So we're sitting here and God says, you're going to go through this territory with your brethren, but notice this, who live in here in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Why? Because they knew what God was doing in and through their lives and what they brought them through for, for the 40, 38, almost 40 years now at this point. They're afraid of all this two to three million people coming through. What are you going to do to us now? Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Here's God telling Moses to tell the people, that, therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them. Don't meddle with your brothers. Don't meddle with these Edomites as you go through their territory. For I will not give you any other land. No, not so much as one footstep. Because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession, and you shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows your tragedy through this great wilderness... These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. So it's very interesting as you take a look at this account here. He says, you're going to go up through the land. These people are your brethren. They're coming from the same descendant of Abraham. So don't think you can just come through and eat your food and drink their water and make havoc. You're going to stay very focused and don't touch them because you do not have that land. Now, many times we think, oh, the land of promise. God gave it to the Israelites. They traveled through the wilderness. They're going into the promised land. They get to possess all the land. But you must remember that God had a promise to Esau as well. And God promised Esau and his descendants a certain part of the land in that area. And that is theirs. And no, you can't 
no touchy. Not as something you can touch here. You must stay away from it, but you can give them money. Why? Because at the very end there in verse 7, he says, 40 years the Lord your God has been, provide, has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So don't walk like you're walking into this, like you have somehow been a really terrible world, of, been in the wilderness and had nothing and we're just barely making it and think you can just start taking power over people anywhere you want to. Like you have a, I'm the promises of God and I can just get whatever I want and treat people however I want. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. These Edomites, they have the same right to land that God gave them as you will when you go into the promised land. So here the Edomites, again, you would expect that uh, these distant relatives of the people of Israel of 400 years earlier between Jacob and Esau, you would think that big issue in the family would have been settled by now. But no, when there's bitterness and there is envy and there's all kinds of things, that doesn't just go away unless the heart's been changed. And clearly that heart's didn't change because Esau the Edomites didn't want nothing to do with the Israelites coming through their property at that point in time. But it's interesting. Do you know who the most, probably the most famous Edomite is in the New Testament? It was Herod the Great. He was hated by the Jews because he was an Edomite. But he wanted to be received and respected by the Jews when he was in the position of power. It's interesting when you follow certain lineages and what their tribe and where they come from. Many times will depict many times the issue at the heart of what you're dealing with. But God said, don't meddle with it. Don't, don't take your conquering army and think you can just bulldoze your way through. No, this land is what I gave to them and not to you. In verse 8, it says, When we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Syria, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezon, Gibber, we turned and passed by way of the wilderness of Moabs. Ah, now we come up with the Moabites, the next enter a tribe that we're going to deal with here. And when the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab. You're going to go through their land. Just because you're cutting across their property doesn't allow you to do whatever you want to do with that property. <laughs> you're cutting across their property. Just keep your focus and be willing to give out money and whatever to, for their hospitality per se to get through it. But don't mess with these people, even Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I will not give you any of their land as a possession because I have given Ur to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So we see right up there to verse 9, God also not only gave the Edom, the, the, uh, the ooh, Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, land, He's also given the Moabites. These are the descendants of Lot himself. So Lot had, God promised Lot and his descendants land, and you can't touch this land. This is God's decision, not you, and don't think you're so big, powerful, and you can just take over. No, no, no. You have to understand, I'm not going to allow you to take not one bit of their land. Verse 10, notice this. It's like a little little thing here of, of, of who was involved with the, uh, the 
the Moabites here is Emim. The Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. We're going to get and talk about giants tonight. Many times people think the uh, Anakims were the only giants, but no, you will notice in the scripture tonight, there were many different little sects of giants and historically have proven, we won't go into the details, but all the way up to I think 1950 something, I would think it was the latest discovery of the 12, 20 feet high skeletons that they found all from the United States all the way over into all of Europe. I mean, it's a whole fascinating study on just the giants alone. But if you look at here, the E was dwelt there in this land where the Moabites were and they were as, just as numerous and as tall as the Anakims, the giants and they were also regarded as giants like the Anakim but the Moabites called them Emim the Horites we see formerly dwelt in Seir but the descendants of Esau dispossessed, dispossessed them from or them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord gave them so we take a look at this right up to verse 12 here you can see these giants now why is it it's really fascinating why God made sure Moses had this in here and here's the reason why he's reflecting on why all these different sects of giants we're in this land. It's going to be very important you take note of this. Because God is going to use Moses to encourage the people of what God has already done in the lives of his people. Edomites, the Moabites, they have land that once was, had possession by the giants. Now I have a little flashback. What was one of the reasons why they would not go into the promised land 38 years prior? Why? Because 10 of the 12 were afraid and convinced the rest of the Israelites there, they were afraid of the giants. See what happens is you, when you do things by fear versus doing things by what God is directing you to do, and you don't take the step forward out of fear, even though God said to go and take possession or go forward, that how God will remind you and I, the giants that are in your life, the giants of, that you've conquered or you think you've conquered in the past, the giants that you, things in your life today that you're trying to deal with, or the giants that may raise up their ugly head in the future in your life, that you just haven't been able to conquer it. You just haven't been able to take and feel like you've overcome that situation in your life. That it's a giant to you. Let God remind you tonight that God took away probably many other giants in your life already. Why would you not think he's going to take away the other giants you're dealing with today? He's going to take care of the giants. Because if there's something in your life that does not line up with the scripture, it's not pleasing to God, and it's a giant to you, he's going to take it away. And he's going to remind the people, I gave the Edomites this land, and they conquered the giants in their life, in that, prop, in that area. The Moabites, they had this land because they, I fought for the Moabites to conquer these giants 
that were in the land. And that is why they had that land. And he's going to remind them, and I am going to conquer the giants that when you come into the promised land, you are going to take possession of. Verse 13. Now rise, cross over the valley of the Zered. So we crossed over the valley of the Zered, and the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed by the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So we see these Moabites coming down from the descendants of Lot. We see the Edomites that were coming down and they were being harassed and, and all kinds of things were going to take place. And they think that, you know, you know, had thought they were going to have to go into battle with this, but God had already told the Israelites, no, you're not going to fight, battle with them, you're not going to squirm with them, you're not going to do nothing, but you're going to give them money for water and food and everything else, but just keep your eyes forward and walk through and don't cause any problems. But it's interesting, the Moabites were of note that because they defeated the Canaanite people known as the Emim, the giants, who were large and as fearsome as the Anakims, But the Israelites were not, did not have the faith to do what God asked them to do. Remember, we talked about all of the sermons that we see Moses giving throughout this book of Deuteronomy. What's the one word that describes every single one of those sermons about? Obedience. Everything is, revolves around obedience. God says to do this, be obedient. God says, don't do that, be obedient. God says, change, be obedient. God says, let me deal with that giant in your life, hand it over to me, be obedient. Whatever it is, we must learn obedience to the word of God. And when that happens, giants fall. The term translated giants here actually is a Hebrew word to Ephraim, which is a term, Ephraim is translated giants, but it actually means Fearsome ones. So when we say, what giant are you dealing with in your life? It's another word, you, a way you can say is, what fearful thing are you dealing with in your life that you haven't been able to deal with? Oh, I'm fearful of my life. I'm fearful of this. I'm fearful of not getting, losing my job. I'm fearful of this. I'm fearful. What is it? Let God deal with it. Spend time seeking after him so that he can show you how he's going to deal with that fearful thing in your life that is bringing you down. That seems to paralyze you and grip you. That seems just too big of an issue for you to deal with. Give it to God. If it's not pleasing to God, he is going to remove it from your life. It's just a matter of time. You're a child of God. But go to him. Let him deal with those giants. Now, you're going to go into the promised land. And God has history of defeating and displaying and dispersing the giants. In the New Testament, the promises that we see in the New Testament 
are, yes, giants of the past. There can be giants in the present. There can be giants in your future. But when that happens, you must remember what God has done in your life in the past, which will then overcome the fear of the giants in your future. And once you've come to the point in your life where you realize that your promise or the, 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 the promises or the power of God in the, overcoming the things in your past will overcome the amount of fear in the future giants, you must understand that always outweighs fear. You must always know, that, let that overweigh the heavy factor of the fear that you're dealing with. And it's something you need to work through with the Lord to remind you that His promises are much more weightier than the false evidence appearing real, that fear that you're what ifs and the, the possible and maybes and oh, what's going to happen next? And it, but that's paralyzing you. That's not allowing you to move forward as like the Israelites they would not move into the promised land because of the fear. Because they didn't factor in God into the solution. They leaned on their own understanding versus trusting God. That's why we see in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. You must trust God. You know, it's interesting. I've come to a point as I, I being in the ministry for so long, that uh, and doing a lot of counseling or trying to educate people about the scripture and how to apply it to their lives, that I come across people who have been walking with the Lord for many years, and they've gone from a simple faith of trusting God and what His Word says and moving forward, and they get so deep within the you know the the the, the ologies out there, you know, <laughs> doxologies, the, the, the different doctrines, and all these things that are very, very important to know. But you get to a point where you become so educated, let me put it that word, educated in the things of God, that you've, you stop living by faith and you get wrapped up into things of religiosity, I would I'll call it. Maybe into a battle of even legalism. And they go from God delivering you from your sin when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you became a child of God. You were regenerated, born again. You said, that's enough. Enough is enough. I'm drawing the line. I'm trusting God with my heart. God, save me. God, come in and forgive me in my life. I believe and I trust in who you are and what you've done on the cross for me. I know you're alive and I know you're in my life. I want you to come into my life. You remember that day and your 100-pound gorilla comes off your back. But then years have gone by and you've gotten really educated on religious things. And what I see happening in people's lives today is that they've moved away from faith and they've now redefined how God can do a work in your life. 
And you, you find people redefining things as a disease or finding, defining things that, you know, it almost can take away that simple faith of people trusting what God has done in their life and start saying, well, you know, God could do that, but you really have to see it and you have to follow these following steps and do these things. And then we'll see what God's going to do. It's almost like a formula you have to follow, a program you have to follow versus just it drives me crazy, actually, to be honest with you, because I find when I got saved and God changed my life, I had never read a Bible before. <laughs> and God freed me from sin, and I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just knew who Jesus Christ is for the first time. And He set me free, He forgave my sins. He gave me the power of the Holy Spirit living within me to start sanctifying my life. I just need to continue to trust in that. That I continue to seek after Him and continue to know Him more in a deeper relationship that the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, my helper, is going to transform my life and He's going to sanctify my life and there is not one giant in my life or in the past, or the current, or the future, is going to take and conquer me. Because I trust God. I trust Jesus Christ is going to do the finished work. Why? Because my Heavenly Father said, I'm sending you a helper to transform your life. To transform your mind by the reading of the Word of God. Why would you then take that and go out to seminary or go into some college of religiosity and start studying all these ologies and get so loaded down when you walk away from even believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? It is so critical, my brothers and sisters, that you live by faith and not by sight. That you trust in the word of God and you don't walk away from one part of that, the word of God. Not one dot, not one tittle. You must understand it and learn it and continue to grow in it and allow the Holy Spirit through the word of God transform your lives so you're in a deeper relationship with God than you've ever been before. And stop reading and all this junk that's out there. That it's just loading you down and confusing you and it causing you to walk away from the simplicity of the faith in Jesus. Because there are giants and there are people out there that says you have to have some program to help you get rid of a giant. He's already dealt with your giants. He died on the cross for all of it. He forgave you of all of it if you're a child of God. Now learn how to live in, by walking in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that takes time to learn it and to grow and to mature and a God, to become that godly woman or that godly man. It takes time. And it's only by the grace of God that we can do this. Not some religion, not some program, not some church, not some, but by the living Spirit that lives within you. Feed your spirit by reading the word of God and pray. And be that strength that will allow you to be transformed. And there is no Emim, there's no Anakim, there's no Ephraim, there is no whatever you want to call your giant. 
There's not one big enough that can, can't, that can go against our God. None. 38 years, they're ready to go in. And Moses now in here, verse 16, remembers the nations and what encountered in the way, in their, on their way to Canaan here. Verse 13, 16 through 23, it says, so they're marching on, right? So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them. Okay, here's another, the third group. You're not to touch thee. No touchy these people. Don't meddle with them. Don't deal with them. Don't be very nice. These people get through this area, right? Don't meddle with them. For I have not... I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession because I have given it to the descendants of Lot. So Ammon comes from Lot as well. Just don't mess with these people. I've given them the possession of this land just like I'm giving you possession of land. I gave it to them. You don't have a say over this. I have a say over this. Then it says, that was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Amorites called them the Zamazumim. That's an interesting name for a giant, right? Zamazumim. And a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphatorim, uh, who came from Kaphator, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. So we see that, again, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Amorites, these, all these are God's people who would place them in God's land to possess, and the Israelites were not to touch them. They're just moving through to get to, going through their backyard to get into the land that God had called them to do. Then we see in verse 24, Moses again remembers that the, having to conquer a big king, a giant, and uh, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and he's going to talk about that for a little bit here, but he was a big boy. He was a very giant here. He says, rise and take your journey across over to the river of Arnon. Look, I have given it into your hand, and Sihon, the Amorite, king of Hishbon and his land, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nation's under the whole heaven. Oh, man. God's literally going to pump it right into their heads of all the people that are coming in to conquer. The fear of God and God's people, and they're coming. And they're going to shake these people up. God's going to get into their heads that God's people's coming, and God is with them and, not, and for them. Don't mess with these people because they're going to come conquer you. So, you will see that the dread and the fear God is going to put into them. The whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be anguished because of you. 
And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth and Sinhon, king of Hishbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road. I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me, until I crossed the Jordan to the land of which the Lord our God giving us. So God put in their heads the fear, do not attack us, we're just passing through, make sure you, if we need water, give us water, we'll pay for it, give us food, we need to eat it, we'll pay for it, we're just reminding you, Esau came through here, and I was with Esau, and hit the, the Edomites, I was with the, every single one of them coming through, the Moabites coming through here, we're just doing the same thing, so don't mess with us, we're just going to go past and we're going to cross over the Jordan. So the two to three million people that is pretty large group of people that's migrating up here just don't mess with us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might Deliver him un- into your hand as it is this day. So it's an interesting um, verse here because what we find here is God is preparing them. God knows the hearts of all people. He even knows the hearts of the enemies who are really what they're thinking about. And so he knows he's hardened their hearts and, uh, and he's, uh, their spirits and, and made it uh, absent in his heart because... He knew that they were going to turn on him, his people. And they're preparing him. He warned them, don't do this, but he knows your heart. He's getting his heart, the Spirit's prepared. And he's getting his people prepared to deal with these people who are going to come against him. So God knows all things. He sees all things. He knows the hearts of all people. And you may say, no, 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 I won't touch you. But he knows the heart of everybody And he's going to orchestrate things to get what God needs to get done. In this case, his people are going to go to battle and he's going to win over them as they go up through to the promised land. And the Lord said to me, see, I have begun to give give Sion and his land over to you. Begin to possess it that you may inherit his land. Then Sion, all his people, came out against us to fight in Jahaz. So it's interesting. You ponder on this. Uh, here's the land that God said you're going to start possessing. It's on the east side. and It's, it's preparing for the land that he's going to have before he crosses into the Jordan. That's where two and a half tribes are going to dwell in this land area. And he's preparing them and he's getting his heart, them, you know, prepared to come and go to battle. So once they win the battle, they get to have the land and land get, God gets to have this land for his people. And the Lord our God delivered them over to us. So we defeated him and his sons and all of his people. We took all his cities at the time. And we utterly destroyed the men and the women, the little ones of every city. And we left none remaining. 
Now it's interesting as you ponder on this, you have to remember these people are the same people who were sacrificing to false idols and they were taking their children and burning them alive to the gods of the Moabites and the gods of these other these these wicked gods that are all through this area. And so it's not like when we read this and say, what? God just wiped out all the kids and the wives and everything? Well, they were killing their wives and kids already. So, you know... The giants in these lands, can you imagine if some of these were giants, the kids might have been nine feet high? <laughs> Here, hold on to the little toddler, he's nine feet high, you know, to deal with that in, your, in the middle of the night when he's waking up, you know what I'm saying? But we see that God is preparing the people. You see that he delivered them over into the hands of his people. That they're going to, he says, don't mess around here. You have to destroy all the men and the women, the little ones in every city. And we left none remaining. So they were obedient to what God asked them to do. And, and we took only the livestock also as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Eror, which is in the, the bank of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead and there was not one city too strong for us. Why? Because God is the one who gave him the strength to do it. God was preparing a way. So nothing was too difficult for God. God is working through his people. Um, So there was none too strong for us and the Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon. Anywhere along the river of Jebok or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So they were obedient. It's good to see this next generation was actually doing and being obedient to what God's directing their path to do, even when it came to the war. Because of this refusal of Sihon, the king of Ishbon, would not let him pass through. Because of this refusal, Israel fought a battle. And you go back and you can see that where it was recorded when we went through Numbers uh, chapter 21 about that battle. But they simply asked for a safe passage through the land. But the Amorites refused to do that. And so that hardened their hearts. They hardened in their spirits of, of this toward his people. And God is going to now deal with that. Because God worked behind the scenes in that hardening of the heart of Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And it was right for God to do that. Because the creator has a right to do whatever he pleases with his creation. Did you know that? That the creator of us has the right to do whatever he wants to do with his creation. He's the creator. But it was also right because the way God did it. God did not persuade a reluctance king to come against his people or to say no to let him pass through. God simply let Sion's heart be revealed in the situation that was taking place and how evil it was toward others and toward specifically toward God's people. So God didn't change his heart. He just revealed, he didn't change it from a, oh, the king was a good king to a now a bad king, an evil king, and won't let him come through. No, God just revealed through asking for a nice, simple passing through, caused the real heart of that person to come out into the light. In this, king, in this case, Sion king 
just revealed his evilness that was taking place. So think that through a little bit. Think that through a little bit. Because as sometimes we are dealing with certain people or certain groups of certain situations you find yourself in, and all you're doing is being kind, you're being gentle, you're just asking a simple permission to go pass through or to be able to do something. And what happens is, by through that kindness or through the simplicity, it many times will reveal the heart of the individual that you're dealing with. That sometimes you're shocked because, wait a minute, I, I was being really nice. I was just... Being kind, I'm just being a simple, I need to pass through. And you see the real heart. Because you thought that person was going to be in unity with you. Be like-minded with you. Be, we both call ourselves in the brethren category. <laughs> I thought we were sisters. I thought we were fill in the blank. But many times God uses situations where it will reveal the heart of that sister or of that, uh, of, of that brother or that coworker or that family member. And it reveals where their heart is. And that is one of hardness or one of love. Don't be surprised. That's how God works many times through this. Now it's interesting as God you know, looks at why God was revealing his heart is so that he could deliver him into our, the hands of his people, into his hand, because he was going to take possession and, of that land and literally wipe these evil people out that were just literally against God and the things of God and wiping out their own people and sacrifice of their kids and everything else uh, when you look at that. But nothing was too strong. No city, as we see here, was too strong for God to deal with. And that, uh, you know, he... He was just going to take them through, you know, he took them through 38 years. And there was going to be no match for them militarily when God is in it. And he's going to reveal and continue to reveal that all the way through. Um, and even to the fact that the 38 years, all these people knew, the Canaanite cities, everybody knew that God was with these people. And it brought fear many times. Now we get to Deuteronomy chapter 3, we see that Moses will continue to, to march on, and we see them marching on to Canaan, and also we're going to see the appointment of Joshua, the new leader that Moses for, for Moses, and we see this here, and Moses remembers the defeat of Bashan. It says in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then we turned and, and went up to the road of Bashan, and Og king of Bashan came out against us and he and all his people to battle of Edri and the Lord said to me do not fear him for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand you shall do to him as you did to Sion king of the Amorites who dwelt in Hishbon. So he's reminding them, hey, we went through a battle. We went through already a wicked king. Now we're going to deal with another big giant named Og. 
He's huge, very big, very large, part of the giants, and uh, he's a wicked, really wicked man. But look what happens in verse 3. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all of his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at the time. There were not a city which did not take from them. Notice this, 60 cities. 60 cities in this part. All the region of Ergob, that's an interesting name for a city, but the region and the kingdom of Og in Bashan, all these cities were fortified with high walls, gates and bars, besides a, uh, besides a great many rural towns, and we utterly destroyed them as we did in Sion, king of Hishbon, literally destroying the men and the women and the children of every city and all the livestock and of all the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the land of the two kings of the Amorites who were on the side of this side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan, from the river of Arnon to Mount Hermon. The the Citadins called Hermon Siron, the Amorites call it Senir. All all of the cities of the plain, all Gilead, all the Bashan, as far as Selkah and Idri, cities of the king of Og in the Bashan, for only Og king of Bashan remained in the remnants of the giants. So think about this. He was the only remnant of the giants. There were 60 cities of giants. 60. This is massive. So you can almost understand the 12 spies going up through and they kept coming back. These are fortified cities. I mean, these are huge. These places are massive. You just can't even picture how big these are because they house all the giants. The The Jews are not giants. Do you know that? Genetically, <laughs> they're not, they've never been giants. They're, they're relatively on the shorter side of the category. You know, it's interesting in reading some of the hist- history books. Do you know Petra? It's in part of the Jordan, right? Did you know that Petra, when you go back and you study that and the size of the, of the doors and the size of the windows and everything is really designed for the, at the time for the, like, Giants could actually go in there. It's massive. Historians say it's like a, it's like a New York City. It's a, it's a very large, Petra's very large place, they say. Anyway, that's a side note. But when you go back and you read some of the historians, it's, it's fascinating when you read this. But we see that only God, king of Bashan, remained in the remnants of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead, now notice here, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. We're talking about his bed. They know what his bed looks like. Notice, look how big this bed is. It is not in Reba, the people of Ammon, but notice, nine cubits in its length. You know how long that is? 13.5 feet. So he's at least 13.5 feet long. This is a king-sized bed, right, for the king, King Og? It was a four cubits or six feet wide, according to the standard cubit. Not the standard to a giant cubit, but it's standard, it's measured based on the cubit of a natural, regular man. So, 
So this brought in more territory for the Israelites. We see on the east side of the Jordan, they show them, and they, they were there. They took over the power. They overcame their enemies. They confronted and ready to go on the going ready to go confront and go into the west side of the Jordan River. They've dealt with giants now, the remnants of giants here that are that are noted here. But notice where now we could take a look at as they settle on the east side of the Jordan ready to take off to go into this. We see in verse 12, the division of the land conquered on the east side of the Jordan River among the tribes of Reuben, Gad and the half of the tribe of Manasseh. So these are, these are the tribes that are saying, we're, we're, we're good with this really beautiful land on the east side. Not the promised land that God promised, but this other land that we just got conquered. We're good with this. We're jiggy with this. Notice here, and this land which we possess at the time from Eror, which is by the river of Arnon, and the half the mountains of Gilead in its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of the Gilead and all of Bashan and the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Erdgob and all the Bashan was called the land of the giants. Jar, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Macarthanites and called Bashan after his own name. Half uh, Havath Jar to this day. Also, I gave Gilead Makar. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave to Gilead as far as the river of Arnon in the middle of the river as the border as far as the river of Jokbuk, the border of the people of Ammon. The plan also was the Jordan as the border, so it's on the west side of that, uh, from uh, Chinnereth. Chinnereth is another name of that day, the Sea of Galilee. So that's the Jordan River all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. As far as the east side of the Sea of the Erbah, which is the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea that we're familiar with, below the slopes of Pishgah. So we see that the two and a half tribes decided that this land on the east side of the Jordan River, and it's defined here exactly who God what, and that but before they can fully have the obligation of just settling down, we know by the scripture that they had to send all their warriors over to help possess the rest of the land on the western side of the Jordan. In verse 18, Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over armed with your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives and your little ones and your livestock. I know that you have much livestock. That was one of the motivation or excuses why they didn't want to go into the promised land because they wanted that fertile land for their, all those animals. Shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. But then we see now the appointment of the leader of this, uh, of this whole tribes, Joshua. We see in verse 21, and the, uh, I commanded Joshua at the time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. He's reminding to Joshua, you're going to be the new leader. Don't forget, this is what I understand. This is what I've learned, and I'm trying to pass it on to you. But do not fear other men. Do not fear people. Why? 
Because God himself fights for you. He is for you. God is going to go before you. you. When you go to war, do not fear man. God fights for you. You must keep that in your mind, Joshua. Because if you don't, you're going to go squirrely. As a leader, you're not going to make it. You're going to come all messed up mentally. You've got to remember what is true and right, and that is do not fear man. You must believe God himself fights for you. So Joshua had this huge job ahead of him, huge sandals to fill, as they would say. And all of this is leading this whole nation. You have two and a half tribes. They're not fully going in. They're on the other side of the Jordan. It's kind of a split in the tribes and all kinds of problems and huge changes in front of Joshua. But Joshua, God says to Moses, encourage Joshua. Encourage him to remember that all that God, the Lord your God, has done to these two kings, Sion and Og, remembering God's past faithfulness, remembering God's past faithfulness in your life, is key to present and future victory. What God has brought you through and over and conquering giants and situations and things in life that will encourage you to get victory in the present and the future challenges that are ahead of you. And then we see what, then Moses then sits there and says, oh my goodness, I'm passing leadership over to Joshua. This is great. This is of the Lord. But then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works, your mighty deeds. That's what you call setting the stage and fluffing up about because you're about to ask something. It's like, it's like you're... Your daughter's coming to you, Dad, and say, Dad, I love you. You know how much I love you. You, You've been so good to me. (laughs) And and you just can sense it. They're about to ask you a question that is going to be a tough one to answer. You know what I'm saying? If If you're a father, you know what I'm talking about. So what does Moses ask God? I pray, let me cross over and see the land beyond the Jordan. These pleasant mountains in Lebanon. Ever since God told Moses, because of your disobedience, you're not going into the promised land. You know that he kept asking God. You just know it. God, please, when we get there, can you please reconsider? God, God, I've been faithful all these years. Forty years I've been faithful, Lord, being obedient. I I know I messed up. I messed up big time. But can can I go into the promised land? But notice what happens. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, get out of here. No, he says, enough of that. Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, the east, beyond it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over 
this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over to before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So he stayed in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. Now it's interesting, as you take a think about this, God says, stop, stop asking. You've asked, wait, stop. It's enough. You're not going. And then you're turned around and said, oh, by the way, train up your new guy, Joshua, because he's taking your job. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation at work? <laughs> you're moving you on and we're going to train someone else up, someone younger and someone's there and you're done and you're moving on and you're going to be replaced by this guy. Not an easy moment, is it? But how did Moses deal with it? Are you kidding me, God? You're not going to let me go in there after 40 years of all the hard work I've been doing and now you're telling me I can't go in and see and touch? what I, And now I have to train someone else? And you think I'm going to invest it? No, no. He's a character of God. He did exactly what God said. He raised up Joshua and encouraged him and strengthened him to go and take over and become the... Why? Because Moses was not selfish. Moses was all about the people. His whole life was always about the, God's people. And he sacrificed his life for 40 years for his people. How do you get to a point where a man will sacrifice his, name, his life for 40 years for people who didn't even like him and constantly rebelled against him for 40 years? The training started with the 40 years in Egypt. Then it was training up for the next 40 years of his life in the back end of some uh, wilderness for your father-in-law as a sheep herder. And then God brought you into 40 years of leading his people. And now this man is 120 years old. The scripture tells us he had his eyes, his strength. He was not physically ready to retire at all. But because of that one moment of disobedience as a leader, it cost him from not being able to touch the land. But God, by his grace, allowed him to go up on the top of Pisgah and look and see all the land that God was giving to the people to, so he at least could see what was about to take place. You know what's interesting? As you think about this, Moses could not go into the promised land at this moment in time but he will see the promised land, won't he? He'll set foot on the promised land, won't he? And when will he do that? We see it in Matthew 17 with Elisha and Moses. We will, they saw the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I believe in Revelation when we see the two witnesses, when you see in Revelation chapter 11, who is it? Elisha again. And we don't know who the second person is, but could it be Moses again? So yes, he didn't come here, but God later on allowed him to come and step foot on the promised land later on, just not at that moment. That's the grace of God, is it not? But God did not want to hear Moses appeal on this matter any long. Why? Because we see that his sin in Meribah, Numbers chapter 20, was very, very serious deal. It wasn't something you could just pass on and, and just say it's no big deal. It was just a slip of the, of, the, of the rod. 
No, it just wasn't just a, I didn't know what I was doing kind of moment. God said, no, no, no. You completely misrepresented me in front of all the people. You may seem this is like, this is extensive or excessive punishment on Moses. Harsh punishment on Moses, not allowing him after 40 years of raids, bringing people through for his people for 40 years, and, and this is really his payment. You can't go into the promised land. You wouldn't even let him set foot a little bit on the promised land. No, because Moses was being judged by a stricter standard because of his leadership position for the nation. Because he was in a leadership position, because he had this unique, close relationship with God. Any teacher, any leader is going to be judged more strictly than someone else. We see that in James chapter 3, verse 1. That's why I say you don't freely just think about why well, I just go out and want to teach and be a teacher and be a leader of God's people in that position because you will be judged more strictly. You go, everyone else in the body of the two to three million were absolutely going against God and his people and everything else, but they died in the wilderness because of disbelief. The young generation wasn't perfect, but God allowed them to go into the promised land. But it was the leader that misrepresented God. Because Moses defaced the beautiful picture of Jesus Christ the Messiah and his redemptive work through the rock which the water came through from the wilderness. He was all he was supposed to do the second time was to speak to the rock by faith for the water, living water to come out to, uh, to water to the people. And he, out of anger toward the people and out of anger of the frustration and out of his emotion, he responded and hit it with the rod. The New Testament makes it clear that this water-providing, life-giving rock was a picture of Jesus. We see that clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And when Jesus struck that rock, providing life for whoever would drink of him, John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus only had to be struck once, right? That was the first time. The second time is all by faith. It was unnecessary. It was unrighteous. Jesus would be struck again much less than twice because the Son of God needed only to suffer once. Clearly communicated in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. He should have only used his words to bring that life-giving water to the nation of Israel. And he ruined the picture that God had sent of the work of Jesus Christ, God himself intended. But notice, don't let that all distract you. Because God used this man, Moses, as a great man of intercession. He was a man of intercession because he had the greatest intercessory prayer for the people of God's people throughout this journey. But God sometimes says no even to the mightiest intercessors 
We see in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. But God knows what's best. And God knows how to deal with the situations at hand. But this place, go up to Pisgah, Moses was able to see from a distance. And that is where he will die, we know in the scripture as well. That is the same place when he gets to see it, God takes his life right there. But like I said, as you go back and you read, and uh, we won't know and see the recording of his death until we get to chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. We have a long way to go before we find that record of what took place there. The whole book of Deuteronomy will be talked about. 